Thank you for being at River City Baptist Church today on this cold day. It's not, it's not cold in here spiritually, amen. Man, I love the singing. It's been great, and it's just been a wonderful service. Thank you for the worship team getting our uh, hearts in tune with the Lord and ready for, uh, to hear the Word of God. Uh, I, I am not preaching today. If you're a guest, I'm Brian. I'm the pastor here, and I look forward to having you back again and again, hopefully. I hope you found a warm welcome here. Uh, today, we're privileged to have a guest speaker, Pastor Mark Thrift. Now, i got to tell you a little bit about Pastor Thrift. He and I go way back. Uh, in fact, I would say Mark Thrift was one of the very first pastors that asked me to preach for him when I was a kid preacher, way back in the day. And, and you got to understand, I started preaching in my 20s, and there's just not a lot of people that think it's a good idea to have somebody that's 25 or something preach in their church. And this brother let me preach. And I'll never forget it. It was Mother's Day. And I didn't have any sermons. I had no sermons. And I certainly didn't have a Mother's Day sermon. And so I have no idea why he let me preach on Mother's Day. But I did. And I was thankful. And I, I, <laughs> I preached about the greatest quality of a mother is that she's saved. And I just preached a salvation message because I, I, <laughs> I didn't have anything else to say. And so... Uh, we were laughing this weekend just about the times we've had together. He met, he, he, he knew me and Angie before we had any kids. And uh, when Adriana was, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's saying something, isn't it? He, he remembers uh, the first time Adriana pulled up and we pulled up with Adriana and she was in a little baby car seat down in, down in Houston, Texas where he's from. He pastored the same church for 31 years uh, in Houston, Texas, a great church since then. He was able to turn that church over to an assistant pastor who's now doing a fantastic job. They've been able to relocate their church and taken off into the next generation. I told him at lunch yesterday, you did transition well. And uh, at, at age 61, just felt like the Lord was uh, pushing him out on the road. Over these years, he's been able to speak and preach in revival meetings and conferences all over the country. And now he does that full time. And, uh, and I'm excited to have him here. You're going to be blessed. He's a, he's a, he's a, a godly man. He's a, been a faithful pastor, and he is an anointed preacher, and he's my friend. And, and I'm excited. Oh, by the way, did a great job at the men's stakeout. Thank you, Brother Mark. Great. These guys, we had a great time. I've had more than one lady ask me about a lady's stakeout. And I, I said, well, um, uh, you know, you're going to have to talk to Lori about that. I will, I will, I will cook, okay? I will come and cook. So y'all figure that out. We'll work that out. Uh, but we did. We ate some food and had a great time. More importantly, heard from the Word of God. And so I want you to give Mark Thrift a warm River City Baptist Church welcome as he comes to preach. I remember that Mother's Day sermon well. Brian was just getting started. Brother Sean Nichols, who was our associate at the time, had heard Brian over at Southland and told me about him, and he had him come and preach a youth rally. So I said, well, just stay over and preach for us on Sunday. And he did. And, uh, you know, homiletics is good hermeneutics is good and all of those things in sermon preparation. But what you want more than anything is the anointing of God. 
and the breath of God upon a man's heart and message. I saw that that day. And I've always known that Brian had God's hand on him. You, dear folk, are fortunate to have he and Angie here and their family. And I marvel and I give praise to God for what he's done here. As I stand before you today, I see a miracle. And I see what God can do when a man and his wife will yield themselves wholly to the will of God for their life. I do love you today in the Lord, and I greet you in the name that is above all names. In Jesus' sweet and precious name. The name of whom the angel said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. In his name, he said to Joseph, shall be called Emmanuel. Meaning, God with us. He's not just God with us. He's God in us. And we know according to the book of Romans chapter 8 that God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Well, I do want to say that my Texans lost last night. <laughs> so I am now a Kansas City yes, chief affectionado. I will be rooting for the big red this evening. And if they lose, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm liable to become an apostate. I don't know. I don't know. But nonetheless, I do greet you this morning in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus. I thought this was Florida. <laughs> what happened to Florida? <laughs> Let me say that I appreciate Florida. I appreciate your governor in these very crazy times holding the line on a lot of good things. And uh, I looked, I checked the, uh, I checked the uh, weather app this morning. It said 32 here in Jacksonville. So I flipped over to New Caney, which is North Houston, where I'm from, and it said 32. I said, I just can't get away from it. I just can't get away from it. <laughs> The book of James this morning, the book of James. I love these five power-packed chapters of in-your-face theology. James just doesn't beat around the bush. Uh, we do know that this James was the half-brother of our Lord. I say half-brother because they had the same mother but different. We also know that this James was not converted until after our Lord's resurrection. And he became ultimately the pastor of that church in Jerusalem that we saw established in chapter 2. James had a bird's eye view of the Lord Jesus growing up. If anyone knew that Jesus was real, James did. And yet after his conversion, James fell in love, not with Jesus as his half-brother, but he fell in love with Jesus as his Savior. Yes. 
and he takes these five chapters and he writes to those saints that were scattered abroad. They had somehow begun through temptation here in chapter 1 to wander away a little bit. They had lost their way. They had lost track. And so the whole book of James centers around chapter 4 and verse 8 where it says, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Where our thoughts are this morning and where my heart is this morning is right here in chapter 1. The text that I'm going to use will be verses 1 through 12. That's where I'll be preaching. I'm going to read one verse because it is the epicenter of this message. And I want to deal this morning with the subject of wisdom. Wisdom. Now, before we dig into this, we need to understand the difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts or the accumulation of truth in this case. And that is all good, but we do know from 1 Corinthians 13 that knowledge has a tendency to puff up if it's not tempered by the grace of God. But wisdom is the ability to take that knowledge and appropriate it and apply it to our lives in such a way where it enhances us, making us more like Jesus. After all, that is the goal of the Christian life, to be like Jesus. Matthew 5 and 48, in that great sermon on the mount, Jesus said, Be ye therefore perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so James, in this epistle, he writes and he says a lot of things about wisdom. As a matter of fact, in chapter 3, towards the end of the chapter, he, he draws a contrast between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. A contrast between godly wisdom and devilish wisdom. But here in chapter 1, he gives us a very clear, simplified truth as to how you and I can have wisdom. We are children of the king. And there's no need for us to live as paupers when it comes to this truth of wisdom. And so without any delay, I want you to look with me in chapter 1 in verse number 5. And it says here, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. I want you to pay special attention to that phrase there. Let him ask of God. Here's what he's saying. You're not going to find this in an encyclopedia. You're not going to find this in a university. You're not going to find this in the great halls of education. You're only going to find this in him. And if you really desire wisdom and recognize your need for wisdom, James is just simply saying, ask him for it. Ask him for it. 
You will remember in First King, Second Kings, chapter number three. Second Kings, chapter number three, verse number nine. The Lord had posed a challenge to Solomon. He said this. He said, Solomon, ask me what you would that I would give thee, and I will give it. You know what Solomon asked for? He asked for wisdom. And from that request, from that petition, you and I now possess the wellspring of knowledge and wisdom that we find in the book of Proverbs, in the book of Ecclesiastes, and in the book of the Song of Solomon, rich, dripping with the wisdom of God. And he goes on to say, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Who giveth to all men liberally. I used to tell my people that's the only time it's good to be a liberal. <laughs> Who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And I love what it says here. And it shall not might, not maybe, not hopefully and it shall be given him. (laughs) Look at verse 6, the very first phrase. But, notice the conjunction, but, it continuates the context here. But, let him ask in How did Solomon get wisdom? He asked God for it. What is James teaching you and I here as far as gaining and garnering wisdom? We must just but simply ask God for it. Oh, preacher, it can't be that easy. Don't you have to study? Oh, I'm all for studying. Oh, preacher, it can't be that easy. Don't you have to read? Well, I'm all for reading, but the problem with that is that's not what the text says. The text says if you realize that you need wisdom, ask God for it. It does not come within the capacity of human beings. It comes from the very heart and mind of God. So to that end, I want to preach today on the subject of the prayer for wisdom. The prayer for wisdom. Now here's how I want to break this text down. Verse 5 through 6a. Here's how I want to break it down. I want you to see with me first of all, and I believe you will see the cause for wisdom. The cause for this prayer, excuse me, for wisdom. What is the cause for this prayer for wisdom? Well, he says it very clearly, if any of you lack it. (laughs) If any of you lack it. (laughs) But not only do I want you to see the cause for this prayer for wisdom, but but I want you to see the context of this prayer for wisdom. There's one word that's mentioned twice in these first 12 verses, and it's the word temptation. It's also mentioned again in chapter 1 in verses 13 and 14, and yet 
In these two separate places, they're used in two different contexts. In verses 13 and 14, the word temptation has to do with solicitations to evil. Solicitations that are wrought by Satan himself or his demons are solicitations that we seem to be susceptible to because of this old man flesh, this old sinful nature that lives in every one of us. And by the way, it's not been eradicated. I heard, all, I heard a song, and I know what the song's saying. I know what it's saying. I don't want to make a big deal out of, of a play of words, but I heard a song one time that said, the old man is dead. I thought, scratch. Yeah. Oh, he's not dead. The old Nazarenes used to believe in the second blessing, and what they believed essentially is subsequent to the experience of salvation, there's another experience of sanctification. The only problem with that is it's not a one-time experience. It is a daily experience. But then the word temptation in verses 1 through 12 used twice, verse 2 and verse 12, can be defined by the tribulations of life. Those trials and tribulations, dearly beloved, that are either sent by God or used by God to conform us to the image of his son, to make us complete and to make us whole. And so the context of this prayer for wisdom is, Lord, I'm really going through some hard times. Lord, I'm really going through some trials and, and I don't understand all this, but Lest I miss you and lest I take this wrong and grow impatient and turn my back on you and begin to run the other way. God give me wisdom and enable me to see what only you can show me through wisdom. But there's a third category I want to break this verse down in. Not only the cause for this prayer for wisdom and the context of this prayer for wisdom, but then there is the consequence of this prayer for wisdom. And I love this. He said, and it shall be given him. It shall be. I want to tell you this morning, God is an equal opportunity wisdom dispenser. You won't get too old and you can't be too young. You won't walk too far with God and you won't just be getting started. But if you ask God for wisdom, the age and the maturity of the older person and the youth of the younger person, if you ask God for wisdom, he said, I will give it to you. But there is a condition. There is a condition. And he says it in verse 6. But let him ask in faith. You don't get anywhere in the Christian life without exercising faith. It's not by intelligentsia. It's not by age and experience. The only thing that God responds to is faith. There it is right there. That's the message. But don't close your Bibles yet or don't shut your phones off yet. We've got more to say. 
What about this cause for this prayer for wisdom? The cause is very simple. It's it, he says in verse number five, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. I want to say this morning, dearly beloved, there's not a one of us that have cornered the market on wisdom. There's not a one of us this morning that have arrived. Matter of fact, if you think you've arrived, you really haven't even gotten started yet. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us very clearly, beware when you think you stand, lest you should Oh, there's something beautiful about the spirit of a child. So much so that Jesus said, except you become like one of these, you'll have no part in the kingdom of God. If you're going to get saved, you must humble yourself. And if you're going to walk with God and grow in his grace and operate in his wisdom, you must humble yourself and say, Lord, I have it not of myself. I ask you for it. I lack it. I want to say, first of all, we lack it congregationally. I used to tell people, and still do from time to time, I said, if you think you're the perfect Christian and you're looking for the perfect church, when you find it, don't join it because you'll ruin it. (laughs) I've already made the statement, none of us have arrived, dearly beloved. James is speaking here congregationally. And he said, if any of you, dearly beloved, to you men who are contemplating a a move maybe in your job or your location, to, to you young people who are contemplating marriage and a relationship, to you children who who are going to school and contemplating your friends. You know what we need? We all need the wisdom of God and the mind of God. No wonder Paul said, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. But we not only need it congregationally, we need wisdom critically. It is critical. So critical that we have wisdom that James says here, let him ask of God. You know, when there's an emergency, you know what we do? (laughs) We dial 911. (laughs) Well, I'm going to tell you, there's an emergency this morning. As we face the choices of life and the difficulties of life, especially in this day and time in which we're living, there is an emergency. And I'm glad there's a heavenly 911 number. James says, let him ask of God. It is so critical. And what makes it critical is that we don't have it. The world out here doesn't have it. The world of education and the world of politics doesn't have it. The cultural world does not have it. No, sir. This comes from God. But then I want you to see with me very quickly the context. The context for this prayer. For wisdom. Twice in these verses. 
James uses the word temptation. And as I've already told you, in this first chapter, there's two different definitions. He says in verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. Now, the definition's right in the text. Because look at the very next words in verse 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith. What are the temptations here? It is the trying of your faith. Look at verse number 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. What is the meaning of that? It's right in the text. Look at the very next phrase. For when he is tried. He's talking about the trials and the tribulations of life. And all my dear friends today, we need to learn to pray and ask God for wisdom because there's not a one of us that won't go through trials. As a matter of fact, when talking about this, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he mentioned this, if need be, if need be, you find yourself in manifold trials, testing. And temptations. What do you mean need be, preacher? I mean simply what God is saying here. We need it, and why? Because we lack it. We need it in order to become more like Jesus. We need it in order to be complete and whole and fruitful in our Christian life. Because if we don't, Sometimes when hard times come upon us, we can get mad at God. And it happens. There are people in church today, or out of church today, maybe even here. They got mad at God because they felt like they got a raw deal. God wasn't fair. He allowed this to come into their life. And somehow, some way, the flesh and the world's philosophies and even the devil convinces us that God's being unfair with us. And what happens when we come to that point in our life, we get impatient. We stop praying. We stop reading our Bible. We stop going to church. Well, I've tried this. I've tried that. I've done that. It didn't do me any good. Look what happened. My wife got sick. My husband got sick. My child got on drugs and this and that. It, it didn't do any good. Hey, God is, not, God is not in our lives to make us happy. God is in our lives to make us holy and to make us more like Jesus. And to grow us and to strengthen us and mature us to the place where no matter what comes our way, we can say what Paul said to the church at Philippi. I've learned how to and I've learned to be abased. I've learned to be full and I've learned to be empty. I have learned therewith whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Boy, Job learned that. Everything was great for Job. He had more cattle and oxen than any man. He had more sheep than any man. He had the nicest house in town. <laughs> had a family and a wife. I mean, had everything a man could want. And in one swooping motion in chapter 1, it's all blown away. He's so miserable that his wife feels sorry for him. I've 
Listen to a lot of preachers give old Job a hard time, or Job's wife a hard time. Let's not be so hard on Job's wife. Wonder what you ladies would do if you and your husband found yourself in that situation. Everything gone. Job is sitting in sackcloth and ashes and taking a broken piece of pottery and scraping the balls off his flesh. I believe she felt sorry. And she said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? She's bitter. See, she's what James is talking about here when he says, knowing this, verse 3, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work. What he's saying there is the same thing that Isaiah said in chapter 40 when he said, it's they that wait upon the Lord that shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. Then Isaiah said, teach me, Lord, teach me. Miss Job said, I don't know, her name might have been Doris. Her name might have been Angie. I don't think you've ever said this, Angie. Brian, why don't you just curse God and die? <laughs> Hope my wife never says that to me. But that's what she said. And Job said, you speak as one of the foolish women. The ladies don't get offended because there's a lot of foolish men too. But he said, you speak as one of the foolish women. He said, the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. And Brian, what I love is Job stayed in there. And if that wasn't bad enough, then his friends piled up. And boy, with friends like Job had, who needs enemies? They begin to blame it on him. You got sin in your life, Job. Something's severely wrong with you, Job. And in the midst of all that, he says, he knoweth the way that I take. When I'm tried, I shall be purified, and I shall come forth as gold. I know my Redeemer liveth. And on the earth again shall stand. He stayed in there, Brian. He stayed in there. That's what James is teaching. Let patience have her perfect work. Let God complete you and mature you because as bad as it is now, if you just wait on the Lord, you're going to see it different one day. I've heard people say, why did God allow that? There was nothing wrong with Job. Why in chapter 1, God himself even said that Job was a perfect man, one that was upright and eschewed evil, the greatest among men. There's none of us that are perfect in the sense of sinless perfection. We all have our besetting sins. And here's Job's. Get to chapter 42, and it says this. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord turned his captivity. And here's what he said, Brian. I've heard of thee by the hearing of mine ear. But now... (laughs) Mine eye seeth thee. Yeah, Job did have a problem. You know what it was? It was pride. And God used that trial to rip it away, to tear it out. And the end result in chapter 42 is Job ended up with twice as much as he had before. 
We need to pray for wisdom. We need to ask God for wisdom in light of the trials and tribulations of life. First of all, the purpose of those trials. Look at it. Let patience have her perfect work. That you may be perfect. The word perfect there is not sinless perfection. It stands for spiritual maturity. And entire wanting nothing, lacking nothing, growing, maturing, completing into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. I told our brethren the other night that is God's eternal purpose in our life. And he verbalized that through the pen of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 when he said this, and we know that all things, good or bad, work together for the good to those who love God, who are called, listen now, according to his purpose, and here it is right here, to conform us to the image of his son. Hey, God's not being bad to you. God's loving on you. Even when the difficult times come, trouble with the children come, even when trouble at work comes, financial problems and things of that nature, if you will allow God, if you'll look up and look into the heavens and grab a hold of the horns of the altar of God, what you'll find is God's not being bad to you. God's being good to you. It's a painful process. Sometimes he has to tear away those things about us that have come with us in our sinful nature from our very birth. But if we're going to be effective for the glory of God and used of him, it's got to be less of us, less of us, and more of him. That's the purpose of these trials. But then there's the praise of these trials. Now, this is an oxymoron. What I mean is in the human mind, this makes no sense. It's in chapter 1 and verse 2. He said, when these problems and these trials come, you know what you ought to do? Just praise the Lord. (laughs) Just give him thanks. Say, thank you, Lord. I know it doesn't make sense to the world, but his ways are higher than our ways. God doesn't see things the way we see it. You and I see a parade. It's one float at a time. God sees it from beginning to the end. He sees the ultimate end. Brother Roloff used to say this. I quote Brother Olaf a lot because he ordained my daddy to preach back in 1948. I knew Brother Olaf, not as well as my father, but he used to say this. Hey, when the trials come and the tribulations come, go ahead and just praise the Lord. And don't worry about it because the bill would come to you later. He used to say, shout on credit. You may not see it. You may not feel it. But go ahead and shout anyway because God's intentions towards you is good. And God's doing a good work in your life. It is for your good and his glory. David admitted that in Psalms 27. You know what David said? It's a psalm of praise. And he said, I would have fainted. I mean, I'd have just quit and walked away unless I had believed to see. He didn't say he saw it. 
But he said, unless I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You going through a hard time right now? You go ahead and praise him. Well, what in the world do I have to praise him for, Brother Mark? You need to praise him because he lives in you. He's your father. He's your God. He has a divine purpose in your life. He's cutting away all those things that don't look like Jesus to make you more like him. Go ahead and praise him for it because it magnifies and manifests the love of God in you, through you, and for you. But there's not only the purpose of these trials and the praise of these trials, there is the prize of these trials. Why well, look in verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he's tried, I mean this is over. He's come to the end of it. Look what it says. He shall receive the crown of life. Paul echoed that in his last letter to Timothy. In chapter 4 he said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. Therein is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me in that day, and not to me only, but unto all those that love his appearing. Here's what James is saying. Boy, when you get in the heat of these trials, you need to remember the purpose. You need to remember to praise him. And you need to remember at the end of it all, there's a reward. The songwriter once took his pen and wrote these words. Pardon my pathetic effort at singing. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. <laughs> Life's trials will seem so small. When we see Christ, one glimpse of his dear face, all sorrows will erase. <laughs> so bravely run this race till we see Christ. He's coming, you know. He's coming. All this derision and confusion we live in. You know what's going on right now, don't you? It's the spirit of iniquity. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. And his spirit is a spirit of delusion. People are deluded. But let me tell you something. One day Jesus is going to bring sanity to it all when he comes back. And he's going to come on that white horse. And guess who's coming back with him? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives. It's going to divide from the east to the west. He rode through that golden gate the first time on a donkey. He's riding through this time on a white horse. He's going to sit on the throne of David and rule and reign for a thousand years with a rod of iron. It will be worth it. But now, what about the consequence? <laughs> it shall be given you. Not maybe. Not mine. But now you have to understand this about prayer. The only prayer that God will hear from the sinner 
is the prayer for grace and mercy. Other than the prayer of seeking after him like Cornelius did in Acts chapter 8. When the Lord dispatched Simon Peter to him. But prayers like this God doesn't hear from a sinner. But he will hear it from a saint. So if he's going to answer this, number one, you must be saved. But not only that, your heart must be pure and clean and right with God. Your prayers can be hindered, you know. David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And Simon Peter in his first epistle, chapter 3, talking about the relationship of a husband and wife as per one that's converted and one that's unconverted either way. And he tells the man to dwell with your wife according to knowledge and wisdom that your prayers be not hindered. Yes, your prayers can be hindered. But oh, to the saint of God, to the one who's saved and their name is written in the book of life, to the one who's clean and pure-hearted before the Lord, nothing between his soul and the Savior. There'll never be a time when you ask for wisdom that I will not give it to you. Some of you having problems with your children, you know what you need to do? Get at this altar this morning and say, God, I need wisdom, especially if you're raising teenagers. I've raised four of them. I've helped raise some more. I have nine grandchildren and two great-grandsons now. There's something about a teenager. They turn 15, all of a sudden they've arrived. (laughs) They've left Sesame Street and gotten on I Got It All Together Boulevard. You know what I mean. Don't worry, hold on, Mom and Daddy, somewhere around 25, you're going to get real smart again. (laughs) They're going to need your help, so don't give up. Don't give up on your kids. I have a son that has struggled with drugs. My heart is broken, even this morning. I carry a heavy heart. I live under a cloud. It follows me everywhere I go. I never see the fullness of the ray of the sun anymore, hardly. But I told him one time, I said, son, it's not that I haven't given up on you, but I haven't given up on God. I know what God can do for you. I know what God wants to do for you. I listened to my mother and my father when my brother Jack, who's with the Lord now, When he graduated from high school, he rebelled, grew his hair real long, started smoking pot, listening to rock music, started going to the world. You know, parents, let me tell you something. When they reach that stage, preaching to them won't do any good anymore. They've heard all the preaching they want to hear. They've rejected that. We talk about prayer all the time, but I wonder if we really believe it. And I can remember as a 14-year-old young man lying in my bed at night. My mother and daddy's bedroom was right across the hall. And I can remember hearing daddy pray. And then mama would pray. And Brian, it scared me. It broke my heart. I thought, how can Jack do this to mama and daddy? He's breaking their heart. And while what he did was breaking their hearts, what they were doing in that bedroom that night was breaking his. 
They'd go on in seasons of prayer. They'd stop for a while and start again. It would go on for hours at night. It wasn't two months, three months later. My brother had gone to my oldest brother's house. He had borrowed his car. He took his car out and found some people who were like-minded. They'd bought some LSD and taken it. Driving around, they almost crashed. And that night, Brian, out of nowhere, God broke his heart. Came back at 2 o'clock in the morning, knocked on my brother's door. Rod, Jack, Robert said, Jack, what is it? What is it? We're asleep, Jack. What do you want? He said, Robert, I need to talk to you. Robert came to the door and he said, I just want to ask you one question. After all I've done, do you think God would save somebody like me? I listened to my mom and daddy pray my brother into the kingdom. He does hear. He does oh, need. I want you to look at this verse for just a moment. I want to magnify how God answers. He says it will be given him. He'll give us wisdom, first of all, generally. He said to all men. Generally, to all men. I told you he's an equal opportunity wisdom to speak. But not just generously. But he gives it to us generously. Look at the word liberally there. Now here's what it means. The word liberally means God's not only going to give you what you need, he's going to give you more than you need. I, I didn't just get grace when I got saved. I got more grace. God didn't just dispense and penny pinch grace to me and say, there, that'll save you, that's it. No, James 4 says that he gives more grace. <laughs> grace to live. Grace to pray. Grace to trust. <laughs> grace in the face of all odds. And those things that are against us. But if God be for us, who can be against us? <laughs> Woo! Stop and shout on that one for a little while. Thank him for that one for a little while. I will. I'll be shouting if Kansas City wins tonight. Why not shout right now? <laughs> Generously. Here's how Paul verbalized it in Ephesians chapter 3. I believe it's verse, it's either verse 18 or 20. He said this, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we may ask or think. Generously. Generally. Graciously. The word abradeth jumps off the page at me. It's the same word used in the book of Matthew when Jesus was standing on the southern steps of the temple and those priests were going down to the pool of Siloam and carrying water from the pool of Siloam up on top of Temple Mount to wash the brazen altar off. 
Jesus began to rebuke those Pharisees. And the Bible says it uses the word upbraid. He upbraided them. It means to rebuke. And here's the thought that's conveyed here graciously. In other words, we don't deserve it. But God doesn't give us to us because we deserve it. He gives it to us because he loves us. By the way, you didn't deserve salvation either. He gave that to you because he loves you. He giveth more grace. And I don't know why I started the song. I can't remember the rest of the words. My wife says, why do you do that? Are you watching this morning, sweetheart? I did it again. Why do you do that? Why do you start singing when you can't remember the words? Well, really, in all actuality, I'm just giving you a boost. You finish it. <laughs> but then there's the condition. But let him ask it thus. Anything that God ever does in your life, from salvation to glorification, you know what's in between? Sanctification. Anything God does in your life is in and through and by faith. God does not respond to intelligence. God does not respond to ability. God responds alone to faith. I quoted this verse the other night to the men. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, For he that cometh to God must believe, there's faith, that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. For without faith, there's the definition right there, it is impossible to please God. I can't please God by my preaching this morning. I can only please him by doing what I do in faith, complete and total trust. Upon him, Lord, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. I can't preach without you. In Romans 14, 23, I quoted this verse the other night too. It says this, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And to that end, James says, if you want wisdom, you need wisdom, you do. Ask God for it, but when you ask, you better make sure you trust him and you that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And there's two reasons why, and I'm done. Number one, faith believes. Faith believes. Look what it says in verse 6, the rest of verse 6. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Look what he says in verse 8. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It, it does not vacillate. It's not in and out. It's not up and down. It's not controlled by our feelings. We don't stick our finger in the air and see which way the wind is blowing. It's not subject to circumstances or the way things look. No, faith grows like a steel beam out of our soul and reaches into the heavens and says, I trust God. I believe God. And by the way, you can pray that way when you've got a promise. You and I need to learn to pray the scriptures. You and I need to learn that our most effective praying is praying prayers that are based on what God says. Yes, Moses did that. 
When God wanted to destroy the children of Israel in the wilderness, Moses prayed a prayer of intercession based on the promises of God. But faith not only believes, faith receives. Because faith believes, it is faith that receives. Look what he says in verse 7. For let not that man, who is that? The man who doesn't believe. The man who does not exercise faith. Or let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. The context there is wisdom. He's not going to get it if he doesn't believe. Therefore, it's not inconceivable that we can draw the contrast here and say it is to the man who believes that receives. I don't know your hearts this morning. You don't know mine. I know we're all here. We're not just here because we wanted to be here. There's a divine appointment, and I'm not a Calvinist, okay? But there's a divine appointment. God brought you here this morning. God brought me here this morning to hear this message. And there's no doubt a need in probably all of our lives that we need wisdom for tonight. Maybe you need wisdom, fella, because... Your company wants to send you somewhere else and you need wisdom about whether or not you take that job or not. You might contemplate before you do if there's a good church there that you can go to and stay connected to. Maybe you young people are contemplating, well, where should I go to college? Where should I go educate, get educated? You need to ask God about it. Well, who should I marry? Maybe you've gotten hooked up in a relationship and you're all starry-eyed and your brain stopped functioning. My daddy used to say, marriage is a wonderful institution. I just can't figure out why anybody wants to spend the rest of their life in an institution. You know what I mean. You need wisdom to see through the surface and the superficial. You need God's glasses to view his lens, to view the path of your life. And you mamas and daddies need some wisdom in raising your children, helping them make these choices. I'm glad to tell you this morning, you need it, he's got it. And good news, he wants to give it to you. Well, how many Hail Marys do I have to do, preacher? How many laps do I have to run? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. That's religion. See, religion thinks you've got to do that to get anything. It's all based on what you do. No, it's based on what he did. It's all of grace. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Our pastor's going to come. Brother Brian, you come. Amen. Wow, that was just a great Bible message, wasn't it? Right out of the Word of God. Let's thank Pastor Thrift. For those of you that are guests, that's what we do here. We preach the Bible because we believe it's the only answer. And so every week, this is what we do. And I want to encourage you, this message has a very definite response that would be immediate, whether a... Um, specific application was said or not, it didn't have to be because you know in your heart you need God's wisdom for, and just fill in the blank, what is it? 
What is it? I don't know what it is, but God knows what it is. It's there for the taking. So I want to encourage you today. We don't always do this, but we're going to do this today. Today's a perfect opportunity to come with your family, your spouse, yourself, gather at these stairs here and ask God for the wisdom that you need. I like that. We're going to sing this song, Make Room. It's one of my favorite songs. I want to encourage you to come and pray, though, if God spoke to your heart. Let's just come and pray at this altar. If you're there in your seat, great. Stay and sing and join the worship team. But let's come. Let's ask God for wisdom. Such a needed message. I know I needed it. I know I needed it. And I bet you did, too. So let's come. He said it's here. You can have it, but you got to ask for it. Ask by faith. Let's come and let's, let's pray and just ask God for his wisdom. And let's sing if we're staying in our seats.